Hello and thank you for tuning in to the third season of the iStart PIA Relay podcast, brought to you by Dementia Researcher. iStart is a professional society and part of the Alzheimer's Association, representing scientists, physicians and other dementia professionals active in researching and understanding the causes and treatments of Alzheimer's disease and other dementias. In this five-part series, we've once again asked members of the iStart professional interest areas to take turns at interviewing their colleagues and being interviewed themselves, with the interviewee going on to be the interviewer of the next episode. We'll be releasing one of these podcasts each day in the build-up to the Alzheimer's Association International Conference to showcase the amazing work of the iStart PIAs. So this week, you're going to hear all about fluid biomarkers, atypical Alzheimer's disease, reserve, resilience and protective factors, immunity and neurodegeneration, and technology in dementia, with some amazing guests. Hello everyone and thanks for joining us. My name is Erica Dove and I'm a PhD student from the University of Toronto in Canada and also the communications student trainee for the Technology and Dementia Professional Interest Area, also known as a PIA. And today I'm delighted to be talking with uh, Charlotte Chinnison. Hello, Charlotte. Could you introduce yourself and tell us what PIA you're involved with? Hello, Erica, and hello all. My name is Charlotte Teunissen, and I'm a professor in neurochemistry in Amsterdam University Medical Centers. And I'm the chair of the Biofluid-Based Biomarkers PIA, so BBB PIA, as we call it. Okay, wow. Well, I come from the Technology and Dementia PIA, so I'm very interested because I don't know anything about your PIA. So I'd love to get a little bit to know you a little bit more. So could you tell us a little bit about your research and what brought you to dementia research? Uh, my research is aimed at uh, development of body fluid biomarkers for the use in patient care in neurological diseases. And our main focus is on dementia. Uh, so not only Alzheimer's dementia, but also other forms of dementia. And uh, we also do research into the use of body fluid biomarkers and implement them in multiple sclerosis. But the main focus is dementia. And in our research, we want to follow the complete workflow or, or yeah, walk the complete road of uh, biomarker development. So from the identification, which we often do by proteomics methods, um, then we do validation, analytical development of biomarker tests. That takes a lot of our time usually. And then analytical validation, clinical validation in the original groups and also in independent cohorts and also in different purposes. For example, you have a biomarker for Alzheimer's, uh, identified for Alzheimer's in a uh, Alzheimer control study. Next, we want to know whether it's also valid or specific for Alzheimer's, so absent in frontotemporal dementia or Lewy body dementia and so forth and so forth, so longitudinal studies. And ultimately, we want to arrive at a clinical implementation. Um, and uh, we also have a large biobank here in Amsterdam, and that is a treasure box for our biomarker research, you can imagine. Because at every step of the biomarker development, we need biosamples, and we have them. So that makes our life very easy also. 
And your second question was, oh yeah, why did I enter the dementia research? Yeah, I've always, yeah, during my studies, I've been especially intrigued by uh, the brain and how it works and, um, and, and different aspects like psychology, how do memories form and, and so forth, how is our uh, behavior defined. Uh, but I'm also rather more a biologist, biochemist. So then I encountered a PhD project in the Netherlands, biomarkers for dementia, and that was a perfect combination of my skills, and it, it, it yeah, it really attracted me. So fortunately, I got a job, and uh, and that's how I came to the dementia field, and I'm still very happy to be part of it because it's so intriguing. You have different aspects, behavior, social, uh, and biological as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Looking at things really through that kind of biopsychosocial model. I have a follow-up question that's actually related to your first, your response to my first question, just because I come, I do a lot of implementation research. So I wondered if you could talk a, a little bit more about biomarkers and when you were talking about clinical implementation, what does that look like? Uh, clinical implementation of um, yeah, CSF biomarkers or blood-based biomarkers uh, can mean that we use it really in clinical practice of memory clinics, for example. And that's the first step and it's easy or relatively easy for us because uh, yeah, we have a very close connection. It's just one minute walk into the clinic and we have the infrastructure ready. So that's our play garden for novel tests. And we can do research also along with testing the if the implementation works and how uh, happy the physicians are, um, yeah, how, how much confidence they have in the results and if it affects their treatment decisions. Um, but implementation also means, um, yeah, for example, that we develop apps for to help in interpretation. Uh, for example, with neurofilament light, it's an um, axonal damage protein, and um, it can be used for many neurological diseases to indicate that there is really ongoing axonal damage. Uh, but it's also very much related to age. So we developed an app. Uh, with the reference ranges across ages so that people can use it and see where their patient result fits into the, the range of controls or if it's in the range of AD patients or in the range of FTD patients. So that, uh, that's also part of implementation. Uh, and the second step beyond the academic implementation means that um, yeah that it, uh, the, that we think ahead of implementation in uh, peripheral hospitals and uh, your third line to the second line and maybe also to the first line uh, and that's very exciting. There are many opportunities now with these biomarkers that uh, may work. So there are also everyday new options for implementation. Um, but one part of it is also uh, the reimbursements, uh, and that's also where I try to participate in studies because I think that we should be in the driving wheel, uh, otherwise it won't happen. So it's also our responsibility to make sure that people can use it and, and find our path to the reimbursement as well. Mm -hmm. Especially, again, I'm no expert in your area, but I'm, suge um, I'm get suspecting that 
for the type of research that you conduct, you probably need kind of a larger sample mm -hmm. size, like large numbers. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. Maybe the pilots. In the, yeah. Yeah. So kind of the more the merrier, right? So if you can contribute, why not? Um, so jumping back, you've said so many intriguing points that I really want to probe on further. One of the questions I have is you mentioned apps and I wondered how technology, if you could describe how technology plays a role in your work and where you see technology going in the next five to 10 years in your work. And what do you mean with technology? Just the apps, IT technologies or also other technology? All the technologies, any, te any way you define technology that you use in your work, like computer programs or anything like that. Yeah, so the technologies are uh, yeah, crucial for the for biofluid biomarker research. So we we really need technological uh, or we're depending uh, or take advantage of technologies uh, that can measure uh, at lower and lower concentrations. Uh, so, um, for example, with uh, single molecule analysis or high throughput analysis on automated platforms um, and also point of care technologies that must become uh, more and more uh, specific. So point of care, do you know what it is? Uh, I'd love for you to tell the audience. Okay, yeah. So uh, point of care really means that uh, you do the technology at the more or less the bedside or at the at the place where you need the care. Uh, so that that goes with uh, yeah other requirements than uh, analysis that you can do in large batches on a on a machine. Uh, where you usually have to have multiple samples uh, analyzed at the same time to be cost-effective, for example, but it takes a little bit longer before you have your results. And with point of care, um, yeah, you um, yeah, should measure it for one sample only. Uh, the, the technology should be less complicated, and but the result is then um, near the bedside very quickly, within 15 minutes or half an hour. But that's not yet there, but it's now being developed uh, because uh, the, the field of the blood-based biomarkers is accelerating. It it's, has been very fantastic. Uh, we had fantastic results in the last years. Uh, so now it's really a field that many parties are also interested in to help the development of novel uh, measurement tools and so on. But with respect to uh, IT um, and, and yeah, software possibilities, that becomes also very crucial for us. Also because we do large population analysis. We, uh, in our discovery studies, we measure multiple proteins. So the, um, yeah, the, uh, the processing of the data becomes also more complicated. Um, so we need novel so software tools or in our studio, for example, uh, novel algorithms, but if you imagine that you have a mul that you need nine proteins for the optimal prediction of the disease progression, for example, and then you must be able to measure those nine proteins, but also uh, to yeah you need uh, some support to interpret it because it gets too complex. And, uh, for yeah, if you have one protein, then and then it's off the target or below the cutoff or above the cutoff, and that's easy to interpret. But if you have nine of them, that it blows your mind. So, uh, yeah, the technology really plays an important role in our research. 
Yeah, it sounds like it. And it sounds like there's a lot of advancements being made, which is very exciting. So that leads me to my next question, which is kind of a good question with the Alzheimer's Association International Conference coming up is what are some of the hot topics in your field right now? You will be flooded by uh, blood-based biomarkers in uh, Alzheimer's disease. I, I think in the Alzheimer in the AIC in San Diego as well. So this is really a hot topic. Uh, we have very good biomarkers, especially the P-tau biomarkers. So there is an issue whether uh, and there are several studies addressing it um, whether and those will be presented. How early can we measure them? How sensitive are these? Uh, is there advantage in measuring one P-tau phosphatau isoform above the other, or should we measure them all, or maybe one is just the best, uh, or maybe it doesn't make any difference? Um, so that's that's really a hot topic, and I uh, expect multiple presentations around it. And we are now also heavily discussing the implementation. Um, so uh, probably there will be a presentation um, about appropriate use recommendations for those blood-based biomarkers. So not only for PTAU, but also for the acetylglyol protein GFAP, uh, neurofilament lights that I mentioned already, and amyloid uh, proteins as well. Uh, and that's a paper that will come out shortly before the AIC, and I think it will lead to a lot of discussion also. So it's good to follow. Um, yeah, uh, Oscar Hansen will be the first uh, author on the on the paper and also the presenter, and I will be the last. Oh. So you can uh, follow our names or search of on our names uh, in the program. Congratulations on your publication. Thank you. <laughs> Those certainly sound like hot topics. So I wonder, um, with those hot topics, actually, here's a more of a question of my ignorance. So can you use biomarkers to assess people for dementia? Um, nowadays, we can. Anyway, uh, yeah, for the, using the CSF biomarkers, they are already implemented. But it's not for dementia, for the clinical syndrome but for the Alzheimer's pathology, okay. etiology for, uh, of dementia. Uh, yeah, that's... that's uh, okay, sorry, I'm, just, I'm so curious. So I come from like clinical kind of background. So I wonder um, what would... So I'm from Canada and the way the referral process works is different everywhere, but if somebody get like screened with a pen and paper measure and then referred for a test or how does it work with the system in your area? Yeah, so in the Netherlands, a patient first goes to the primary care physician and then they do yeah, a pen and paper test nowadays. We are developing digital alternatives, but they are not yet implemented. And um, and then if the primary care physician, uh, yeah, they like to not refer eh, as much as possible, not to overload the the, uh, the other lines in the care system. Uh, but once they have a suspicion that it's really serious, of course, and yeah, enough indications, then they are referred to. Um, yeah, the, to a memory clinic, and it can be a specialized memory clinic, uh, which are is usually in the third line, so the academic medical hospitals, uh, or in the second line. 
And there they can um, yeah, undergo a lumbar puncture or an amyloid PET scan, for example. Uh, but the lumbar puncture is yeah, generates more information because you don't have only amyloid information, but then you can also do analysis of P-tau and also of a nerve emit light, for example. Um, so in, in, in our memory clinic, the lumbar puncture is preferred. And, uh, and that gives you an indication. So it's not in the first line that they do the lumbar punctures, uh, but that's done in the second and the third line. And then, uh, the, yeah, and of course, in combination with uh, the cognitive neuropsychological testing and, uh, and the story of the patients, it's not just doing a, a screening. Mm -hmm. But the future will probably go in a direction with those blood tests because they are so easy to perform and non-invasive uh, that one can do a pre-screening using the blood test and those who test really negative can be sent home uh, and, uh, and others that, are, that test uh, positive and, and also in the gray zone, you can um, yeah, do additional testing, for example, by lumbar puncture and amyloid PET. Um, so uh, th th this is where it will go to in the end. So how quickly, I don't know. Um, we hope very soon, but we must also do it very careful not to give uh, people, uh, send them home with the wrong answers. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Perfect. So uh, just looking at our time, I wondered now if we could switch a little bit over so I could learn a bit more about your PIA. Um, could you tell me a little bit about the fluid biomarkers PIA and how your group is organized? Uh, yes, of course. Uh, so the BBB PIA, it's it's um, quite a large PIA. I think it has uh, over 600 members or even more now. I don't know. Um, and we have uh, 11 working groups. So um, And those working groups, uh, you can participate in it and uh, they are working towards uh, writing a paper together or um, yeah, making some guidelines. Or uh, Usually the, one of the outputs of the working group is to write a paper. So, and they are also cross-PIA. So, for example, we have a working group on the cross-PIA collaboration with the FTD PIA. And we published a white paper or, or review last year, uh, or this year even, yeah. And we also have an imaging uh, working group or with uh, blood biomarkers, in, uh, no, body fluid biomarkers in, the, in Down syndrome or psychiatric disorders. And furthermore, we, have, uh, we organize several webinars. Uh, and that's the beauty of um, yeah, that we're now working more in Zoom. So those we webinars are very interesting because well attended also where... Um, yeah, we, we touch upon a specific um, yeah, uh, subject, for example, the biomarkers in psychiatric disease or a health policy around um, biomarker use uh, implementation. So, uh, yeah, since the field is accelerating, there is also more um, yeah, demand or, or also by the, the members of the PIA to organize such webinars. And we have a journal club, and, and there are two young people uh, interview authors two different, of two different papers. Uh, that's also very interesting. And we have a year in a review webinar. Uh, what happened in the past year? What were the exciting developments? 
and there are a couple of uh, features research sessions also um, in, in, at AIC, um, so about the implementation, the other is uh, neuroinflammation and uh, BBB, uh, PIA, uh, FRS, so at least two. And there's also a symposium dedicated to the biomarkers. Um, and it's called the road towards uh, clinical implementation. <laughs> so the subject that we just discussed. Um, so yeah, there are a lot of activities, and yeah, we have uh, executive board meetings. I think four times a year. Wow. Um, yeah, it certainly sounds like a very active PIA and a like a really big membership. So congratulations on that. I wondered if you could, if you would know um, what your membership kind of consisted of in terms of disciplines. Like, is it very multidisciplinary or is it more people coming from the same area? No, I think it's very much multidisciplinary. Um, yeah, from different, there are a lot of doctors, of course, but also biochemists and um, yeah, yeah, so that that's more about, yeah now the audience of the AIC I think. Okay, <laughs> yeah. and yeah. then uh, how does the work of your PS support your field of uh, research? Yeah, it's really helpful. For example, we also have a working group uh, studying the pre-analytics, uh, and that leads to an SOP, so standard operating procedure. Uh, so recommendations also for how to uh, process your blood samples when you uh, yeah, obtain them from the patients. And um, yeah, and we, make re we made recommendations for that. And currently we want to refine them. Uh, the PIA is also helping uh, to connect people through the webinars and also on the PIA day. Um, it's really a platform to encounter each other, inspire each other. And, um, and we also appreciate uh, the inputs of the young people. Um, so the early career researchers, and they can send in their abstracts at AIC. And uh, if they indicate uh, whether they want to be participate in our uh, PIA sessions, they, uh, then uh, they can be selected also for a PIA day to give a short presentation. Um, so we welcome the exchange and really the input of young researchers is very much valued. Ah, that's perfect. That leads me to my next question, which is how can listeners such as early career researchers become involved in your PIA? So first you can indicate it, uh, yeah, uh, the, the, um, the tick box, the checkbox in uh, the, the membership of the e-start. Uh, you can indicate that you're in the PIA because want to be a member of it because then you are a member and you receive all the mailings and announcements of uh, all the activities and then be at the activities but also you can indicate whether you want to um, yeah, send me an email uh, for example whether you or via Jody uh, uh, of the Eastart. <laughs> Uh, that you want to participate in a webinar, for example, or a journal club. Um, yeah, especially journal clubs should be driven or hosted by the young researchers. So it's interesting to hear of people who want to do that. Um, so you can become an active member right from the start. <laughs> yeah, and I think what's so interesting is because your PL, kind of like mine, is so multidisciplinary, everyone brings a unique lens that's 
advantageous in some way. Like everyone brings something to the table. So even if you're not, you know, you've never been involved in this kind of research, early career researcher, it's still good to get your feet wet. Um, so we are running out of time for today's podcast recording. But before we go, I do have one final question for you, which kind of leads off of our conversation, which is what advice would you give to an aspiring early career researcher out there who's thinking of looking into dementia? Mm, maybe try to find a good spot uh, where you can do your research. research. Um, and a good spot means uh, uh, somewhere where you like the people and where you get excited about the projects uh, and where you can learn something new. Um, because, uh, yeah, I think you, you may think ahead of your career path, uh, strategically but i think uh, you never know how it goes and most important is to do what you like the most yourself and what inspires you because then you will be, become the best in your subject and yeah and if it's a very specific question uh, how to to make that next step now be aware every researcher likes to talk about their research so you can just uh, approach someone at the conferences show them your interest show them your that you really thought of your of uh, yeah approaching that specific person uh, that you're interested in the work of that person and that you have ideas about the research fields or maybe just go there and show your interest um, you don't have to have a defined plan, of course, but if you're an enthusiastic researcher and after that, yeah, ask the email address and then approach that person afterwards, after AIC, because then you show that you're really committed and that will help. And then hopefully they have a position for you. That's such tangible and practical advice. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And I'm sure our listeners do as well. Um, so that is all we have for our podcast today. So thank you again to Charlotte for taking the time to join us today. Yeah, thank you, Erika, for the fantastic interview you did. Nice questions. Thank you. Thank you for listening over the last week. I Start Professional Interest Areas are a great way to expand your network and find new collaborators. And we hope these podcasts have inspired you to become involved. There really is a PIA for everybody working in all areas of discovery. And even better, iStart membership is now free for students worldwide and everybody of all grades living and working in low and middle income countries. You'll find profiles on today's panelists and information on how to become involved in iStart on our website at dementiaresearcher.nihr.ac.uk and also at als.org forward slash iStart. There'll be a link in the show notes. We're looking forward to next week's AIC conference in San Diego. So if you haven't already registered, visit als.org for more information. And it's free for anybody who's an iStart member and attending online. Finally, please do like and subscribe this podcast in all your podcast apps. And remember, you'll find a video version exclusively on our YouTube channel. Thank you for listening and we'll be back in two weeks time.